You're listening to Travel Tales with Virgil. Hello, my name is Virgil O'Keefe and you're very welcome to the podcast. I have a destination special episode today on the city of Derry in Northern Ireland, which I had the pleasure of visiting a few weeks ago. I'd never been to Derry and it was such a novelty to go to a new place that is both very familiar but also very different from my experiences of other holidays in Ireland. I could not recommend Derry enough as the perfect weekend away. The city is a population of over 120,000 but this ancient old walled city centre feels much more compact and I love that. It's easy to walk around and see all the sights in the city. For lovers of both history and entertainment, it is the perfect city break. By day you can visit the many great museums like the Guildhall, and then by night there are great restaurants and bars, all clustered together to create a vibrant nightlife buzz. This city has got great history, architecture, bars, restaurants and hotels, but what I really loved most was the welcome from the people. Everyone I talked to over the weekend I was there was so friendly and open and welcoming. I have some great guests from Derry on the podcast today, and my first guest now is Charlene McCrossan from the famous Martin McCrossan Tours. On this walled city tour, Charlene takes you through 1500 years of Derry history from the 6th century to the plantations, all the way up from the siege to the troubles to the peace process and to the present day. So let's hear from Charlene now. Charlene, I'm just after doing your tour. And I have to say, it's the perfect thing to start to see your city because you it covers everything. Yeah, it really does. It's it's just like that little taster into the city. It's the best thing to do first when you land in the city. Get your bearings, get a little bit of background and then decide where you want to explore next. Yeah, and you're right, exactly. You get your bearings because we're standing there in the little, the monument, the, the Remembrance Monument, and you yeah. can see the four gates and I had been standing there before I did the walk but I didn't cop that till you said it yeah I know that there's little things like that throughout the tour that you can that I always point out and even like locals would be like oh my goodness I can't I can't believe I never realized that before so it's really good and it's so like it's dirty I have to say is the perfect city for a couple of days because the size of it as you said there again at, at that memorial it's so quiet there because you're surrounded by the walls and you know yeah. you know it's a big city it feels like a small city doesn't it it does it feels in a way like a large town but by no means does that mean that there's not much to do there you know there's so much to do something for everybody um people come from all over the world now to visit this city and they're finding things for the kids for themselves for the grandparents there's just something for everybody and Derry Girls has just started again on TV and it's all over the press. It must be amazing uh, to have that. Oh, it is amazing. I absolutely love it. I love the show. I love the crack and the banter in it. And uh, it's just amazing to have something that's based in and around the city and to have our city now being talked about all over the world. It's just great. And have you noticed that on the tour now that people are coming in there, you know, rather than the history, they want to hear about Derry Girls. 
Yeah, well, I have my first Dairy Girls tour of the season now this weekend. I do a Dairy Girls tour. So these people come in here now that would have never, you know, I understand a a walking tour isn't for everybody. I think everybody should do one, of course. But (laughs) you do get your people who don't want to go on a walking tour. But instead, now they're coming to the city and they're doing a different type of tour. And they're doing the Dairy Girls tour with ourselves. And it's just absolutely fantastic. And the tour actually starts, you know, by a mural of the Derry Girls. And did you say Channel 4 paid for that? Channel 4 paid for the mural. It was done by UV Arts. So basically Channel 4 came to the city and they said, we want to employ local artists and uh, pay them to do this fantastic piece of artwork on the Derry Girls on a local building. And we were like, yeah, any any more money you want to spend, bring it all in. We don't mind. We're happy enough. <laughs> and tell us, so your tour is called Martin McCrossan Tours and it's Martin was your folder. Yes, he started it in the early 90s. He started the business and he sadly passed away in 2015. So he's seven years gone now. And was it at his funeral that they was called Mr. Derry? Is that right? Or was it before? It wasn't even it wasn't even at his funeral. It was in the news. It was on the national news. And it was a local politician had said, you know, Martin really was Mr. Derry. And then from there, that was just how he was known, Mr. Derry. And it was mentioned then in the funeral and, you know, because my dad was so very well known, not just nationally, but all throughout the world. And when he did pass away, it was on the news. It was on like BBC and UTV and like TV cameras and things were there, which was, you know, it was a, it was a lot to take in, obviously, yeah. at the time. But yeah, to hear that Mr. Derry then was just unbelievable, just what a great way to leave a mark on the city that he loved so well. And, you know, he was a bit of a visionary, really, because he started it nearly 30 years ago at a time yeah. when there probably wasn't too much going on tourism wise. Exactly. Now, not only did he start the business during the Troubles, but he started a business where he was very vocal, saying that he was going to tell everybody's story at a time where the two main communities were divided. And here was my dad coming out and saying, no, I'm going to tell a shared history mm. as such and people were like what what <laughs> thought he was crazy gained himself a nickname madman across him and yet here we are almost 30 years on still going strong and business is thriving thankfully and you know he got the title in Mr Derry it's unbelievable and he obviously was a determined man because you could say himself and your mother they're kind of a story of the north aren't they Yes, they are. So my parents married 40 years ago and my mum was from the only Protestant area on the city side of the river, an area called the Fountain. And so from a Protestant background, my mum is. And then my dad from Craigan, which is just behind the bog side. Uh, so Catholic family. And when they started like dating all these years ago during the Troubles, uh, that was not common. And you wouldn't have seen it if if it had happened you would have had couples move away as a result of them dating or planning to get married because of what was going on around them at that time but my parents they persevered and they actually used it as well in a way to their advantage by starting a business by wanting to share this shared experience that they had with people from all over the world and you really noticed that I really noticed it on the tour 
you're right, you're giving the whole story. You know, we were at the corner where the apprentice buys war and their museum, and you're looking out onto the dog, onto the bog side at the same mm-hmm. time. And I love that getting getting the whole history. Yeah, exactly. You know, the history the history of our city, it's all connected, you know, from 1,500 years ago, right up to present day. I mean, history does repeat itself in a way. And yes, there may be different stories surrounding different things, but it it all connects. And you get visitors from all over the world who think that our troubled history here is only within the past 50 or 60 years. But our terror will take you right back and it'll say, no, well, this is actually something that has been on the British Isles as such for hundreds and hundreds of years. And let me tell you about it. You mentioned it again on the walk. And I was in the museum, the Guild Hall, and I loved that because it went through the whole plantations. You're in yeah. an amazing, you're in an amazing building itself. Mm-hmm. But also yeah. the history in it is just brilliant. It's free. I know it's free. The best thing about it, it's free. You don't have to pay a penny. <laughs> but no, it's a, that is by far one of my favourite buildings in the city, the Guildhall. I actually wanted to get married there, but my husband wouldn't allow it because he works there. So he didn't want to get married in his work. Um, but no, it's absolutely amazing. You have the organ, the stained glass windows, you have the free exhibition. And now, very soon, we're going to have John Hume's Peace Prizes in the Guildhall as well. So that's something to look forward to. Yeah, that'll make it very special, won't it? Yes, it really will. And again, connected with the history, John Hume, you can feel his presence everywhere, can't you? You can, most certainly. Like we were just talking about Dairy Girls there, for example, and he's even mentioned in Dairy Girls, which is absolutely fantastic. And he should be, of course. And another thing that I I really noticed on your walk is that, you know, you're talking about history, but you're always bringing it to the current situation. And it's always positive and it's always, and I got this from everybody in the city that I've been talking to, everybody's looking is aware of their history but they're very much looking to the future in a positive light that's the message I keep getting in the city yeah that's 100 percent the mentality of everybody in the city now today we have been through difficult times many people have lost many family members as a result of the troubled times and we don't want to go back to that and we want to move forward into the future now and we want to lead that way very much in peace and reconciliation. What I really noticed is everybody is so friendly. It took me, when I first, you know, I went into my first, when I arrived first um, in a bar, everyone was looking at me and saying hello and I was like taken aback. But <laughs> once I got that, the people are so friendly, like hyper yeah. friendly. I know. And for a city, people say that all the time for a city. And you can just be walking down the street and you see somebody who you've never seen before in your life and they'll say, hello, how are you doing? And that's what I always say, how it's more like a town than a city, because everybody is just so friendly. Everybody does want to have a conversation. And if they hear maybe a different accent, they will come up and say, oh, where are you from? How long are you here for? You know, and that is just your dairy people. There's just that natural friendliness there. And they, they naturally just want to know about people and want to chat. And yeah, it's a great trait that we have here in Derry. And I love that line that you used, you know, the many names of Derry, whether it's Stroke City or London Derry or Derry, but you said mm. the, the word you like to use is legendary. 
Yes, legendary. We truly are legendary. A fantastic city. First UK city of culture in 2013, the number one Halloween destination in the world. So legendary is truly fitting for us. And could you give me just a couple of quick, you know, quick fire? So say your museum, would you recommend? Do you have a favourite? You probably Guild Hall is probably your favourite, but another one. Is there another museum that you'd recommend for people? Well, it very much depends on what you're looking for and what you're interested in. So the Tower Museum is the council-run museum, and that will give you a full background of the city's history, and it is fantastic. However, if you're more interested in the civil rights movement, you have uh, the Museum of Free Dairy down in the Bogside, again, which is fantastic. And then if you're more interested in the older history of the siege and the marching orders, then you have the Siege Museum. So it's there's something for everybody there. There really is dependent on you know, what you want to, what you want to delve deeper into, exactly. basically. And uh, for someone like me, I just loved it because I love history. So all of those, I mean, it's a great, because you can do those during the day and then you've got, you know, it's a great place to go out. There's some great areas. Do you have a, a favourite bar, restaurant that you'd recommend to people? Yes, well, recently I have come to love, well, I love like Pater O'Donnell's for your traditional Irish and looking around and seeing all the little posters and reading different things. I, I just love that, having something to read. <laughs> but then, and also, I was in there and what I love that too, but also there's like a lambeg drum and there's some sashes and, you know. Yes. Yeah, Amazing. exactly. You know, it's not like one side as yeah. such. You know, you can see the sashes of the orange order and and then you look the other direction and you'll see a tricolor, you know, so it's fantastic. Yeah. And then I actually really love as well, um, there's a new, well, it's only newly refurbished. It's the Guildhall Tap House and it's right next to the Guildhall mm-hmm. and they have their own beer there and it's actually called uh, Dopey Deck Brewing Company is served in the Guildhall Tap House and it's actually named after our city's history because in the 70s there was a killer whale that got into the River Foyle and it couldn't find its way out again and there were boats trying to like lead the whale back out to the Atlantic and he couldn't get out so he got the nickname in the city Dopey Deck. Um, (laughs) so this is where the brewing company comes from anything that kind of taps into our history and our culture I love and they do that fantastically and actually I was in the cottage which was lovely for lunch beautiful I love it and the craft village just a gorgeous little spot uh, for everybody you kind of feel like you're I, I know we're in Europe as such, but you feel like you could be in Italy or something when you're in the craft village. Even if it's raining, you still feel as if it, the sun's shining in mm. a way because it's just such a beautiful little spot. And that area over the Peace Bridge is going to really, over the next few years, I think, grow into uh, a gorgeous area. There'll be lots of restaurants and bars and things like that, I would say, over there. Really excited for that. So there is a wine bar planned. There's a maritime museum planned. There's a new hotel opening there. And already there are two fantastic restaurants there. You have the Embankment, which is run by the Bentley Group. And they would be all over the city with a couple of different restaurants. And they're absolutely fantastic. And then you have the Walled City Brewery as well. Which, which I was has in act- as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is amazing. They actually won an award for the best gastro pub in Ireland as well so and again they brew their own beer and each beer again is named after something to do with the city and its history so just something that everybody would know my favorite pint in there is a pint of kicks and it's named after the undertones and teenage kicks it's oh, wow. pretty comfortable of course so i didn't cut that <laughs> 
there's, there's a great so history, much. isn't there? The, the music and I the know. culture. The music, the culture, the man, the many musicians that have come from here, mm-hmm. you know, Phil Coulter, the undertones, Dana, you know, there's just so many. I'm actually going to a concert next week and Phil Coulter and Dana and Johnny McDade mm-hmm. and uh, really looking forward to it. Cannot wait. And, you know, I was amazed at the bog side. I didn't realise that it's so close to the city centre, you know, beside the walls. Everything yeah. is within walking distances. And I walked around there. It's lovely to walk around and see the peace mm-hmm. murals. And it's, you know, yeah. very Yeah, it's right. It's, it's basically in the city centre, the bog side. And everybody is welcome to go and walk along the bog side and look at the murals. There are small, small descriptions beside each of them. So you will have an idea of what you're looking at and what that mural represents. And it's definitely a fantastic walk to do. And can I just say again, like your your walk, I mean, it's just, I, it's, I would say it's a must do because you, it's great humour as well. You've great wit, you're getting the history, you're getting your bearings, it covers everything. Yeah, yeah. I always make sure to get a bit of humour and wit in there because I have to, we do have a troubled history. It can be a difficult story to tell, but then I have to remember that people are on their holidays yeah. as well. So, and sure, where else would you get that good old dairy humour than on a walking tour of the city? So we're well known for our friendliness and our humour. So you have to make sure and integrate that into the tour. Exactly. And do people just, can they just walk up? So it was outside the foil shopping centre can people just go to there or can they pre do they have to pre-book no they can just go to there so we have four walking tours per day seven days per week and they're at 10 a.m 12 noon 2 p.m and 4 p.m there is no need to book all you have to do is show up outside the shopping centre foil side shopping centre there's the big banner there saying walking tours leave from here and then our guides are all brightly dressed in yellow so you can't miss us we stand out like a sore thumb and uh, yeah, we're there every day. However, the Dairy Girls Tour, that is a pre-booking one, and that's every Saturday at 12. And now you're going to hear a short clip of Charlene during her tour on the walls of Derry City. So you're all so very welcome onto our legendary walls. Now, in the 1960s, there was a man in the United States, Martin Luther King, fighting for civil rights. Well, a lot of people in this city especially felt that they didn't have the civil rights that they were entitled to, so they followed suit. What they wanted, one man, one vote, proper access to public housing and proper access to jobs. Now, the way it would have previously worked was that if you had six properties, you had six votes. If you had no property, you had no vote. Now, another process introduced in 1971 was a process called internment. Internment was simply people being put into prison with no sentencing and no trial. So in this city, we did have a lot of civil rights demonstrations and then anti-internment demonstrations. The first civil rights demonstration to take place in this city was on the 5th of October, 1968. Now it resulted in a three-day riot. That sparked the beginning of what we call the Troubles. The troubles of this country, 1968 to 1998, killed approximately 3,600 people. At the height of the troubles, there were 27,000 British soldiers deployed across Northern Ireland. Now that was at one time at its height, mainly between this city, Belfast and along the border. Very difficult times. Now there was one awful day in this city, the 30th of January, 1972. That day became more globally known as Bloody Sunday. 
Now the events of Bloody Sunday did occur in the bog side area. As you can see looking down in the bog side today it is a very peaceful place. Now I do speak on behalf of the majority of people in the city when I say this and when I say majority I mean 99.9% .9 when I say we are not going back to the way we were 40-50 years ago, most certainly not. Far too much was lost here on all sides of all communities and fantastic work has been done in this city and in the country as a whole and we're not letting anything or anyone jeopardise that progress that has been made here. Just to put it into perspective, now the first British troops arrived in the streets here in 1969. When they first arrived, a soldier was asked what was his take on the situation. He said, oh, we'll have it resolved within about six to eight weeks. 38 years later, they left the city. The last British army base in the city was just over behind that wall. Today, it's simply just a car park. But just 16 years ago, there were high watchtowers there, constantly looking over the bog side area, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. We have come such a long way in such a very short period of time. At the height of the troubles, the locals and any rare visitor that we did have to this city could not have walked on the walls. The walls were occupied by the forces. They were seen as a platform for trouble. And at that time, our beautiful historic walls were actually described as a noose going around the city centre. A noose. Today, they're described as a necklace because they attract visitors from all over the world. So from a noose to a necklace, we're doing so very well. I mentioned to you at the beginning of the tour that my father started this company 28 years ago. Now, I'm sure you can all understand now, 28 years ago, there was no tourism industry here. But my dad, he had a great passion for the amazing history and the amazing culture that we have here. And he ran with it. The locals thought that my dad was crazy. He gained himself the nickname Madman McCrossan. They said, what is that man doing starting a tourism business? He is crazy. But he was 100% right. He knew that one day, whenever that may be, we would have visitors from all over the world. And today we do. When my dad passed away, he was given the official title of Mr. Derry. Now, we have Nobel Prize winners who have come from this city. But it was my daddy that was named Mr. Derry. <laughs> There's only one thing I have to say about that, though. It should have been Mr. Legendary. Yeah, <laughs> everybody, of course. But he was legendary because he did genuinely put this city on the map as a visitor destination. My mum now runs the company. What my dad never told anybody was that my mum always run the company, of course. <laughs> the woman behind the man, of course. But the reason I am telling you all this is because my dad, he had that faith. Well, a lot of other people didn't. And that is what we need. Yes, we are in the most peaceful times that we have ever been in. And yes, long will that continue. But like many other countries across the world, we do still need faith. I need all of you to spread the word. Let everybody know that this is a city and a country that is open for business. That we have an amazing story to share here. By sharing these stories, we are trying to ensure that history does not repeat itself as it has been known to time and time again in the past. Another place I'd highly recommend is the historic Brookhall Estate, which is over 25 acres of beautiful gardens on a picturesque site on the banks of the River Foyle, just five kilometres from Derry City Centre. Brookhall is owned by the Gilliland family, who developed the gardens into one of the finest private collections of plants and trees in Ireland. I was brought around these stunning gardens by the owner, David Gilliland, whose family originally came to Ireland during the plantations and have been here for six generations. The gardens feature plants and trees from all over the world, so this is a tour through history as much as nature, where every tree and plant has a story. David brings his family history to life through the gardens, 
which make it the most enjoyable garden tour I've ever done, I have to say. So my chat now with David is as much about his family history and their connection to the gardens and to the area of Derry. So, is this your house here? Yeah, so this is our house. Um, it's been in the family for six generations now. Um, so, going back from my grandfather to actually his cousin. So it was actually on the other side of the family before it came to our side of the family. His cousin, his father, and then our shared great-great-great-grandfather, who was the man who bought it in 1856. 1856, and what's your name? David Gilliland. Wow, so going back six generations, that's yeah. amazing, isn't it? And what is the name of the house? So the house is called Brook Hall, uh, built around 1790 by uh, Sir George Hill, who was a prominent figure in the city back in the late 18th, early 19th century. He was the MP for Londonderry, um, down in the Irish government. Um, and he owned quite a number of properties around the city, um, but this one he built specifically as the place where he'd spent most of his time. It's a beautiful setting, looking out on the river and the mountain, or the hills in the background, isn't it? It really is quite unique, yeah. You know, you're... And the design of it, what, what would you call that? So the original house was Georgian build, and over the years there's been additions made on so it's a mix between a Georgian Regency villa yeah. um, we'll see that in the background yeah. so um, this is what we're looking at is actually the back side of the house okay. originally the main road would have come run along the river and Sir George Hill who built the house had the power to shift the main road from Derry to the fort at Colmore and on into Donegal from below his house to above his house just to give you an idea of the man see similar sorts of designs in the Indian plantations and the American plantations okay. and the design all came from the people who lived here and then emigrated out or were sent out through the British Empire. Wow. So and you're saying like, so the original was MP and then were your family did you have? So my family uh, we're a plantation fam family um, originally planted into Antrim uh, before they made their way to East Donegal. So the family goes back past the six generations in Kildrum, which is just across the border uh, in County Donegal. And uh, so Samuel Gilliland, the man who bought the house, he was a miller. Um, so he made, uh, he rolled oats and he also made biscuits and things which he exported out of Derry. He was one of the first people in Northern Ireland to use steel rollers, which is where you get rolled oats as opposed to ground oats. So when you're reading your porridge, yeah. it'll say they're rolled oats, yeah. and that's what it means by that. Um, so that's where he made his money, and from that, um, he decided to purchase Brook Hall when it came on the market. And have you lived here all your life? Or? So I grew up on the farm, Okay. so the estate is kind of split in two. We have the arboretum and the gardens with the house, which is the heart of the estate, and then surrounding that, we have our farm which is a renewable energy farm where we go short rotation coppice willow for biomass. Wow. Um, so I grew up on the farm and worked my whole life on the farm and now I find myself on the other side of the estate. And when did, you, when did you go into the house? I moved home in 2018. I had been living in England for the past 10 years. Um, unfortunately, my grandfather was getting quite frail in his old age. Uh, he passed away in 2019. And at that point, you know, we had to have a long, hard think about the future of the estate. And that's when we decided we're going to look at uh, opening up the gardens. The gardens have previously been private. Um, there's been no public access at all, except for you know friends and family. Um, so it's a real gem that we have here. Oh, it's amazing. Um, 
rated as one of the top gardens in Northern Ireland for its collection. There are quite a collection of rare plants uh, from all over the world. We're going to do a tour now, but even when I was driving in, it just it, it just has got an atmosphere. And one of the things you'll find as you walk around Brook Hall is everything has a story behind it. It's all about the person behind what's happened. Everything's been done either out of madness or for a reason. Baby steps before we We've can run. We've got a beautiful day, so I've, I've just met you and we've only walked about three yards. So <laughs> let's go. We'll have a look around if that's okay. That's great. Yeah. But the first tree I want to show you on our, our tour is this one right in front of us. Gorgeous. So we've got the sun right behind us, exactly. so it's just making quite an interesting <laughs> silhouette there. But this is a giant redwood. Um, and this was planted by Frank's mother to commemorate his birth in 1884. Now Frank had two other brothers, Valentine Gilliland and Gerald Gilliland. Gerald died at the age of eight um, from a childhood illness. We're not quite sure what it was, um, but Valentine uh, was killed in the Battle of Ypres in the First World War. He was a captain in the British Army. Now, their mother had planted three trees, one for each of them, and as the other two died at young age, so too did their trees die at young age, and the only one that has made it to maturity is Frank's, and Frank made it to the age of 75 before he passed away. It's interesting just how the, you know, the real world and the nature is linked. You'd almost think that exactly. they were connected. And you know, it's, is it coincidence or is it something bigger than that? Who knows? So that redwood, is that the same as the redwoods in America? It is, yeah. Um, so it's from, we have a collection of redwoods here. Um, the redwoods all originate around that Pacific area. So you've got the western redwoods from California and you've got the eastern redwoods from China. We have a collection of all of them here. But the giant redwood in particular, it's from um, just the inside of uh, the mountains running down the Californian coast. So you, ha you actually have two redwoods there. You have the coastal redwood and then the giant redwood. Obviously the coastal is at the coast and the giants further inland. Um, but what you find as you travel around um, these estates around Ireland, around the UK, is Plants were done as a fashion through the 18th and 19th century. So when this tree was introduced, it was only introduced in around 1850s, 1860s to the UK. And so at that time, everybody jumped on the bandwagon. This was something new. This was the new fashion. So nearly every estate will have at least one giant redwood all around the same time because that was the first time it was introduced into Ireland. And you see it also through some of the other plantings. You know, most estates will have hydrangeas because they were in fashion. Certain rhododendrons were all in fashion. Um, for instance, the rhododendrons here, Commander Frank, when he retired, so he was a commander in the Royal Navy, and when he retired from that, he took his retirement money and he put quite a large chunk of it into buying the fashionable rhododendrons at the time. And many people now think those rhododendrons in particular are quite gaudy. You know, they're um, kind of creamy with purple splodges and a bit kind of in your face. Um, and that was the fashion at the time. Um, so then when my grandfather took over, he despised these rhododendrons. <laughs> so he cut out 90% of them. And his favourite were the pure red rhododendrons. So we'll see a few as we're walking around. Um, but it's you know there's that mix of different people having different impacts on yeah. the plants and the climate. And also, um, you know, say different houses competing against each other. Absolutely. You know, you know it was, you know, it's... 
It's like if you go to the balls or anything, everybody has to be dressed in the best clothes. It's like when people come to your gardens, you have to have the newest collections of plants. Or, you know, you, your position in society might drop. So that's what you have to think about now, is what your, what your thing's going to be. Well, you know, there's a lot more knowledge about the plants and there's a lot more interest in them. So one of the things we're looking at doing is promoting more endangered species. So as we walk around, we'll see some of the endangered species we already have. And with climate change as well, there's a lot more species that are endangered than ever used to be. Um, so that's one of the things that we're looking to bring into the garden, is creating a safe haven for these endangered plants so that their genetics can continue, even if they're lost in their native habitat. And even there, we just um, a minute ago went past, what was it called? We, we lived in a foraging, we went... Yeah, so we um, there's quite a bit of wood sorrel, which is a native small plant that grows a, a ground cover plant and it's one of the best plants that's native for getting your vitamin C so before we had oranges and things like that again which are an imported plant um, the people would have Add a little bit of wood sorrel. It's amazing, and, and it's got a real citrusy flavour. It'd be yeah. amazing in a salad. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. And and as you said, people knew that in the past. Yeah. It's you know, yeah. there's that connection that's lost at the minute, and yeah. it's one of the things that there's a lot of people out there trying to bring back is that connection to nature. You know, going out, there's so much food around us. Exactly. You know, how can we be in a position of food poverty yeah. when we're surrounded by it everywhere? Exactly. Looking out over the river at the wall garden here. Yeah. So we're looking at you know the main feature of the dairy area which is the river foil um, and you can't miss it it really is huge the train going by across the river gorgeous and you know, standing here you see the river you've got the house in the background you can see the foil bridge and you've got the whole of our wall garden standing in front of us now this area really came to prominence in the 17th century specifically with the siege of Derry in 1689 so if you can imagine 1688 1689 this place would have been a commotion between armies gathering and the boom itself. So the boom was what created the seat. It blocked off the river access into the city and the boom ran just at the far end of Brook Hall here. So the next estate over is called Boom Hall, named after the boom. Um, at the time when the boom was built, this wall garden was here. So this wall garden dates to around 1730 or so and it built around the same time as the, the city walls itself. Um, and so uh, King James's army, the besieging army, were actually stationed here at Brook Hall. So they were, the main army was stationed here, with then the garrison defending the boom upstream of us. So, so what was the boom then? So the, did it go across the house? Yeah, so, okay. so the boom was made up of a collection of large oak trunks, all tied together with chains, and they floated across the river, and it stopped any ship getting up and down the river. So you can actually see in Boom Hall the stone, which is the locking stone, the anchoring stone that they tied all the chains to. Um, and hopefully, you know, the, the Boom Hall is council owned and we hope that in the future it's yeah. going to be open up for people to explore that history and heritage. And um, so the boom ran across there. And so the army was stationed just downstream of the boom so that you know the attacking forces didn't hit the majority of the army. There's a bit of protection there. So they were stationed here at the wall garden which most likely in that time would have been filled with fresh produce to keep the army going keep the siege going longer and that's part of why the boom was here is to cut off this lifeline from the city and how long did it go on the siege so the siege lasted for about 90 days um, before king william's army came they broke the boom and they lifted the siege and from here king james's army fled and that's how we ended up in the Boyne Valley for the Battle of the Boyne in 1690.
Amazing, so man. if you could imagine if the siege had gone a different way, King William wouldn't have survived here and the whole face of European politics would have been changed. True. What many people don't realise is it was King William of Orange who separated the crown from the parliament and created what is the modern day democratic parliament which is spread from England around Europe and around the rest of the world and it could have all turned because of the siege of Derry yeah. specifically on this site amazing amazing so one of the trees that we're standing here beside and it's you know, I just wait one thing to it's the most gorgeous beautiful peaceful place as well well you've got the weather for it don't <laughs> <Yeah>. you <laughs> you've certainly picked a good day but this tree that we're standing here beside you might recognize it it's a yew tree mm-hmm so one of our native, one of our very few native conifers, um, and this particular tree, yew trees, when they get old, they don't grow tall; they just get wider and wider and wider. So there's two trains of thought to this yew tree. Given the size of it, we either think it sat here and oversaw the whole siege of Derry, or the other train of thought is that there's a French soldier who lost his life at the siege of Derry, buried underneath. Now, yews in Irish mythology are synonymous with death. You'll see them around most of the graveyards yeah. around Ireland. You know, modern day science has led us to believe that, well, we know the berries are poisonous, so we believe that in ancient times they would see anybody who eats the tree, any animals who eat the tree die, and that's where the, uh, the symbolism of death comes from. And it's, you know, it signifies death because if you eat the berries, yeah. <laughs> you can die from it. Um, so uh, livestock all keep away from it it keeps the graveyard safe because they know that anything comes near it can potentially die um, so that ties in quite well with the story of the French soldier underneath we're not sure which one it is both stories are quite yeah. nice but they both put it around that time so around the kind of 400 year mark um, so it's quite quite a sizable tree and quite a veteran tree one of our oldest on the estate actually you've answered that question for me I've always wondered why they're in graveyards yeah. you know to the time of the Troubles. Um, you know, these big estates, especially on the west bank of the Foyle here, they're seen as kind of Protestant strongholds. Um, and you know, they, were the, they were the image of what, you know, what people were fighting against. The difficulty that my grandfather had is he was born and raised in Donegal. You know, he was, you know, he sided more with the locals than he did with the British army. But then he was also in an awkward position as he was one of the main solicitors in the city. He was also the solicitor for the British Army. So he didn't agree with them, yeah. but yet he was doing their legal work for them. And that put him in a really tough spot because he was disliked by all. <laughs> you know, nobody wanted to be on his side. And his offices in the city actually got blew up five times. You were describing, like, when you, even when you were young, like, you could have soldiers going through the garden. Yes, yeah, so, you know, I was, I was born in the 90s, 1991. Um, and, you know, I remember... That we were an arable farm. Um, there's not many places to land a helicopter within the city, um, and so this was one of the best places for it. Um, and so you'd see helicopters landing in the fields. You'd have, you know, before the helicopter would come, you'd have a patrol come in, walk the estate, make sure there's nobody hiding here. Um, you know, we have a great view over the river, so anything coming up and down the river could have been a target from the bank here. So they were very nervous over what was going on here. So they always had quite a strong presence here. Then you know what I mean. Perception-wise, just if helicopters are landing here, 
know, I have to thank my parents for this, but, you know, although I was born and raised in Derry, I've been completely sheltered from everything that's gone on here. You know, we're in our own little world here on the edge of the city. And, you know, I grew up in the gardens here. I never was in the city. Um, so as a child, I wasn't aware of everything that was going on around us, um, you know, which I can only thank them for. You know, it's a lot and you only have to think of all the other people who've gone through this and the trauma caused. You know, we were really lucky here. We didn't have to be sent away. We were isolated enough to avoid as much as we could. But, you know, we didn't really think twice about it. We didn't understand what was going on. We never asked about it. It was just a normal thing. But when you think back, you know, it's not normal for the army to walk through your farm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's amazing. But it's a sign of the times and you know thank goodness exactly. we've moved on and you know exactly. things are looking up and the city's doing incredibly oh, unbelievable it really is you know so one of the one of the other stories that we have of Sir George Hill um, in the uh, as we said in the uh, 18th century, he was the uh, he was the MP for Londonderry, but he was also the captain of the uh, Londonderry Cavalry in the British Army. And one day they got a call, and the call was, Wolf Tone is fleeing from Ireland from Bunkrana, and uh, you know Derry being the closest city and where the closest army was based, the Londonderry Cavalry was sent off in chase of them. And as many people know, Wolfton managed to get onto a French ship and flee out to sea, at which point the British ship chased after them and they caught them at sea, there was a battle. And uh, so George Hill was the lead of that. And when they managed to get on, Wolfton was dressed in full naval regalia. He was a well-educated man and spoke fluent French. You wouldn't have been able to spot him apart. But Sir George Hill and Wolfton both studied together in Trinity College, Dublin. And he was the only man in the whole of the British Army that would have been able to spot him from a crowd. And that's how Wolfton got caught. Wow. He was captured, brought into the prison in Derry, and then sent down to Dublin where he died in prison. Wow. So imagine if Sir George Hill had been sick, or had <laughs> been know. You know, in Parliament on that day. You know, how the world would have changed, how Irish history and politics would have changed if it wasn't for the people here at Brokaw. So we've had the siege <laughs> exactly. in the 17th century. Yeah. We've had the capture of Wolftone yeah. in the 18th century. You know, it's this is quite a quite a unique location for Irish history and politics and exactly. the shape of the whole world. You know, a lot of people don't realise just how much of an impact Ireland has had on the world. Yeah. And you know, and and also, like we've just done our tour of the gardens, and it's like a tour of the world. Yeah. I mean, South America. Asia, Europe, there's plants from all over the world here. And the plants tell the story of the locations. You know, the stories of the plants here tell the stories. Like our yew tree tells the story of the siege. And the oak tells the story of the boom and the building of the city. But as we said, the Patagonian cypress talks about endangered plants in South America. And you know, every, sto every plant has its own story to tell. And it's up to us to tell those stories. And you know, they look pretty, they look nice. But there's more to them than that. Exactly. And thank you so much for bringing it to life. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming here. I really recommend getting a tour of the Brook Lodge Gardens. 
you know, not just for the garden, but also for the history. And just one last thing that just after that interview, just you just heard there, when I stopped recording, David told me that across the front of the house, there are a load of these old cannons. And he told me that those cannons actually come from that French warship that Wolf Tone was captured on. And they were given as a gift for capturing Wolf Tone. And now they're at the front of this house. And that's what's amazing about this house. And my whole time in Derry is, that's what I loved about this area. Just living, breathing history. I hope you enjoyed this episode and it conveys in some small way how wonderful Derry is for a holiday destination. I really enjoyed my weekend up there. It really does have something for everyone. I had a full action-packed weekend. Like other activities I did were the Wall City Brewery Experience, which was brilliant. And another thing I did was the Oak Fire Adventures Activity Centre, which is a great outdoor area with activities like tree trekking, zip lining and paintballing. I'll finish the podcast now with a short clip from the owner, Richard Allen. Please look out for future destination specials from the Travel Tales with Fertile podcast. land and my father got the old house in the ground and I finished up my studies at about 2003, 2004 I was like what the hell am I going to do with this place and we started off paintballing of all things because paintball was illegal in Northern Ireland until 2005 you know our history with the guns <laughs> isn't exactly the greatest thing <laughs> and uh, we opened up then and we've literally just added wee things on and the last couple of years we've done obstacle course races and this has been the next big thing for us and this is brilliant I say people love it do they it's kind of weird because we had the, the zip lines built in 2018 and we were bringing in the uh, the tree trekking and the sort of the end of 2019 start of 2020 and now that everybody wants to be outside you know yeah. in touch with nature and all it was just that's the industry it's just taken off you know what I mean yeah. people are, I think are becoming a lot more attuned to nature and the, the value it brings you yeah. know what I mean so uh, yeah look it's just right time right place and you just heard the voice of Richard Allen there who's the owner of Oak Fire Adventures and I have to say that place really is a gem just outside the city of Derry it's a great day out for all trill seekers and adrenaline junkies of all ages they've got loads of things like tree trekking wobbly bridges and high wire zip lines which go across a beautiful wooded valley and, they have, and most importantly, they have a wonderful welcoming hospitality. And if there's one thing I keep saying to everyone since my trip to Derry, it's that you'll get the most wonderful welcome in that city. For more information, check out the visitderry.com website. I would ask if you could please subscribe to Apple Podcast so a new episode will appear in your library every week. I would also really appreciate if you could leave a rating and a review as it helps others to discover this podcast. To find out who's on every Tuesday, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Travel Tales with Fergal. Stay safe and keep dreaming of future travels. Travel Tales with Fergal.